Well, hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you're with us this morning. Those joining us online, we're grateful that you're with us. And I have an announcement today to all the guys at SCI Chester. We were informed that our program is go- it will continue, and so we're not going anywhere. <laughs> Praise God for that. And uh, thank you for everyone that prayed. And uh, so we're grateful for you, grateful that God brought us together, that we get to continue in our relationship with you. And so um, just excited, grateful. How many of you are grateful to be in the house of God? It's, it's a great place to be, um, and uh, I'm grateful that you're here. We believe that when you um, encounter God, your life can be altered um, for, for all eternity, and the trajectory of your life will never be the same. Uh, today, um, we are beginning a series um, entitled Everyday Evangelism, and uh, before I get into uh, the Word of God today, before we dive into some text, we're going to kind of go through certain um, portions of scripture in which Jesus talks specifically about the gospel. We're going to go through three specific Greek words this morning, and then we're going to launch out of that the teachings of Jesus into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to talk about um, a word uh, often used in church, but we're going to talk about a word called reconciliation, um, and then hopefully land the plane Um, to where everyone is encouraged, equipped, and ready to share the gospel with every person they see in their life. That's just the goal. Anyway, um, set it high, okay? And, uh, but before I do that, I just, uh, uh, just one announcement today. um, Well, hold on. Before I do that, Friday, uh, this room was absolutely mobbed with women, um, And I just heard so many powerful stories about the presence of God and the tangible presence of God in this place. People prayed for, testimonies shared, salvations, um, healings. uh, Just, it was a powerful encounter. And so uh, I'd love to tell you that all the issues of space will be fixed when we get our, into our next facility. But I just know if the family keeps growing, um, we're always going to have issues uh, with space. How many are grateful for our growing family? It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Um... So with that, our growing family, um, how many know when you have a growing family, there's always uh, more required of you? (laughs) It's like, yay, it's like, you know. Um, But the good thing about a growing family is this, you always have the influx of new believers. Um, And I believe that whenever there is an evangelizing culture, there is a healthy culture in the house of God. It always puts in context the purpose of the local church. I know we always fight sometimes. People have different theologies. People have different denominations. And quite frankly, I think for Christians, we spend too much time fighting about our denominational differences and less time uniting under the call and the commission of Christ. And for many of us, um, we forget the two foundational truths that we've been called to proclaim the good news of Jesus and to equip the saints for the works of ministry. And if we would put everything else aside and just focus on those two things, the house of God would be full. Um, for many of us, you might be here today and, and, and see that th- there is a growing family and, and it's something to, to celebrate. But I just want to challenge you. Um, for me, I don't know how you move. We have a, a core value here at True North Church that we express it this way, that we're made to move. Um, but in that expression, it doesn't ever say that you are forced to move. Did you see that? Um, like, we don't come up behind you and, like, you know, grab your arm and be like, you will serve, you know. Or, like, on your way out, we, like, you know, I've, when I was in seminary, I visited a church. And on my way into the lobby, there was a, 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 a bulletin and it had a list of names who, of people who have not yet tithed their tithe that month. 
I went, oh, at first I didn't know what it was. I thought it was like people to celebrate. I'm like, no, you don't want to be on that list. <laughs> I think we have the good, right intentions in saying to people, honor God. Be faithful and obedient to God. But at the end of the day, we're never coerced to do those things. God calls us and compels us through his love that he demonstrates towards us to act and demonstrate and live our lives as disciples of Christ. And so you might be here today and you might say, wow, this is so cool, it's awesome. But do you know that we are better with you a part of it? I said something I don't believe in the nine o'clock service and I forgot to correct myself. I said in, in this part of the service, I said, hey, you know what, we need you. But the truth is, um, uh, how do I say this? Um, we don't. <laughs> let, let, think of it this way. God chooses us. But he's not limited by us. But he chooses us. And so God chooses us to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. He chooses to use us as vessels. Paul would write that we are co-laborers with Christ. And to labor for the advancement of the gospel is not a peculiar thing, but it's better said this way, that your real purpose, fulfillment, joy, peace, value, understanding in the local church is found when you choose to be part of it. And I guess part of it is really the, the expression we need to analyze. Like, what does it mean to be part of it? Does it mean just give and show up? I, I would argue that they are essential things to be generous as God is generous to us, to be faithful as God is faithful towards us, but really to serve as Christ demonstrated to serve. Listen, family, everything we do, we do first because we received it from God. Why are we generous? We don't say that because it's a neat core value to put on the website. No, because we believe in our hearts that God is generous in giving his one and only son so that we could receive salvation. Generosity is the heart of God. And so we desire to emulate Christ here on earth and be generous. Same way in our faithfulness. The reason Psalm 92, 13 says that those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. The reason it says that, and Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 12, talking about the body of Christ. He says, don't look at, at you know, parts of the body and, and say, well, who needs the pinky? You know, or who needs the big toe? Or who needs the right foot when you have the left one? No, don't argue. We all need to work together because we represent the body of Christ. Don't argue that some are more valuable than the others. No, we need everyone to work together to bring heaven down on earth. It's, it's my heart and my core belief that the closest representation of heaven should be in the local church. And it doesn't mean that in this room is the absence of hypocrisy and sin. But it means that those who are in this room have a desire to run after the things of God and their spirits have been redeemed because of the finished work of Jesus. They are choosing to live out as disciples the teachings and the ways of Christ so that their world will be influenced. Before we talk about evangelism, it's imperative that you understand first your identity in Christ. Because it's like, before we talk about what we do, we first need to understand who we are. And like many people say, well, I'm a disciple, you know, you're like, oh, okay. And what is a disciple? A disciple just means a follower of someone. So if you were to say to me, I'm a disciple, you are telling me you follow someone. Now, you remember last week when Doc John was talking about his conversation with a real shepherd? 
And he asked him the question, he's like, well, what do the sheep do when they realize they're lost? Do they come back? And he started laughing at him. And he says, they don't. You have to go get them. I mean, we're described as sheep. And that's hard for some of you to think of that, but it's not hard for me. I'm like, if you want to understand the definition of distracted, that's me. Like, I'm so easily distracted in my life, but, but that's the heart of God towards us. That, and it's seen in that, in the parable that of leaving the 99 to find the one, he brings the one back. Discipleship just simply means that, that we follow someone. But if you were to look deeply into what it means to be a disciple of someone, listen to these two words that none of us are like, yay, you won't clap that loud about these words. It means to submit and discipline oneself to the teaching and ways of, of the teacher. Like, uh -oh. standing applause for submit and discipline. Like, yay. Well, see, that's the difference, right? That is the indicator of someone who is a follower of Christ. A follower of Christ doesn't say, well, I've chosen to go this way. No, <laughs> well, I've chosen to take this portion of the scripture and not believe it anymore. No, no. When we submit ourselves and discipline ourselves according to the will of God, we then are disciples of God. Disciple and discipline find the root derivative from a Latin word that literally means pupil or learner. And so if we're disciples of Christ, if we are Christ here on earth, we are learners of the word of God so that we can reflect him greater in our world. Now it's important when we talk about evangelism, like what does it mean? It means we proclaim the good news to people who are beyond the walls of this house, in our workplace, in our communities, so that they can receive Christ. They understand the good news. Now, before we share the good news, we should probably understand it ourselves. And in order for us to understand it, we need to learn what the scriptures actually say about evangelism and the good news that we received. I think many of us just think, oh, the good news, it's when I said that prayer of salvation, I, I, I received it, and now I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven. It's like, well, that's like a short synopsis, yes, but there's something deeper in that that you need to carry with a real passion. Now, I, I've recognized that in order to do that, you need to have a deeper understanding of what you've received. For, for many of you, let me ask this question. How many of you have gone through growth track? Put your hands up if you've gone through growth track in our church. Now, today starts class 101. Pastor Eric and Joanne will be teaching that. Um, it's after our 1 o'clock service, our next service. It happens right after that around 2.30. Now, the reason we do that every single mo month is so that we, as a growing family, can have more and more people join the family and understand what it means to be part of True North Church and to actually join a team, find a crew, um, bring their gifts and talents into the house, whether on worship team, on creative, in Compass Kids, in youth, in all the different facets. Why? Because God keeps growing the house. And if we continue to act in the charge and the commission that God gave us, Guess what the byproduct is of our obedience? We don't strive to do it. We have a core value until everyone knows. It doesn't say until everyone believes. Because that's not our job. Our job isn't to go up to people and say, hey, listen, I will convert you. And you will believe by the time I'm done. <laughs> it's like, no, no. Some of you, you think that and that's why you're so intense. That's not your call. Your call is to show people Jesus and to communicate with them. And I, I've, I've heard it said before, like, well, I just live my life, and when I need to, I tell them. Well, that's not really Bible either. 
It's a cute, cute little, I mean, I think that was attributed to St. Francis of Sissi, and I don't even know if that's accurate. I don't even know if it was actually he who said, him who said that. But actually, according to the scriptures, the Bible says that your mouth should not be shut. It should be open to declare the wonders and the glories of God. And to proclaim the good news requires you and I to share it with, with other people. Um, in Mark chapter 16, verses 15, Jesus says to the disciples and those around him, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Preach the gospel to all creation. Throughout the New Testament, there are three words, and my Greek is not that good, um, and it never really has been to pronounce it, but um, euangelion is the word most frequently used in the New Testament. It's used about 75 times in the New Testament. Um, and that word literally means gospeling or sharing the good news. Um, you at the beginning um, literally means good, and angelion means announcement. So it literally means good announcement. But this word, euangelion, was around prior to the use of Christ and the disciples. And I, I want to share with you the use of the word prior to it being adopted in the early church because I think it will carry greater weight for you when you understand what it means to evangelize or to um, euangelion other people in that sense. Um, in that time, it was used as a military uh, term. It was one, a military messenger would come into the city. It was described and used primarily of a coastal battle happening. Um, so for uh, it would be a war at the Jersey Shore, right? There would be a, a serious war going on. Someone would be down there watching the war, and they recognized that we won. We won the battle on the coastline off of the Jersey Shore. Someone would come all the way back to Mullica Hill, and they would proclaim to everyone who was anticipating what is the result of the war and they would say, we won. We won good news. We won the war. And then they would also say, hey, FYI, the king is coming. And he is going to declare to you that we have defeated our enemy. Now, let's, let's just in context, just for a moment. This is hard for us, right? Um, we know people, when I say we as a, as, a, as a spiritual church family, we are in relationship with churches all over the world. And God has blessed us in those relationships. But there are some um, relationships we have that that's a literal thing for them. Like if the government found out that they were believers and gathering together Christians, their life and their family's lives would be in jeopardy. I have to tell you of all the challenges we face in America, all the issues that we have, the division, the divisiveness, all of these things, I have never got up one morning and wondered if there would be people coming down my driveway to execute me and my family because of my faith in Jesus. Not once. Now, in order for you to understand the real value of this, you first have to recognize there's actually a war, that the outcome of that war directly affects you. And if you don't, then the good news is irrelevant because you were never saved from anything anyway. But this is why the term was used within the early church. It's because they recognized that there is a spiritual war happening 
Christ came from heaven to earth, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, shed his blood for the salvation of humanity so that you could be recipients of the victory that he won for you. And so the news was, we have defeated sin and death. This is good news. We won. All the early church recognized that it was, it was their victory that they, were in, that they were able to carry. When we talk about um, euangelion and to share the gospel with people, um, it's always interesting how we hear this. When you hear the word evangelism, some people get like their, their palms get sweaty. They start to get blotches. They start to get all like nervous. They're like, oh, the pastor wants me to share my faith. I feel like I'm going to die. I'm going to dry heave. I don't know how to do this. This is like intense. They get panicked. I'm serious. A lot of us do that. Now, some of you extroverts are like, oh, I'll talk to anyone. No, no, no. It's not just talking. It's not just an extrovert thing. It's not an introvert thing. It is a Christ thing. It is a redeemed thing. It is a child of heaven thing when you have been redeemed from from the consequences of sin and been given the title of a son or a daughter of heaven, we proclaim that which we first received. And you do that, why? Because it's significant. I have never met anyone go into sheer panic mode when they've experienced a good restaurant or they've gone to a good vacation and they're around friends or some people they don't know and they start, and you're like, what's wrong? I'm getting ready to tell them about some good news. And I'm like, okay. Um, And I don't know what it is. I I don't know if it's the lack of understanding of what we've received from Christ, if it is our expectations of how people will respond to us. But typically, generally speaking, if something is a benefit to you and is good news to you, you're indifferent on the reaction that you'll receive because it is good news to you and you're gonna share it anyway. And for many of us, we get caught in this idea. I don't know what to say, but what if they ask me about this? What if they ask me about this religion or that religion? Or what if they ask me this philosophical question? What if they ask me to quote Habakkuk and I don't even know what Habakkuk is? Like, what? Like, what, don't, a lot of it is all these what ifs, but just start operating when you hear the Holy Spirit speak to you. When God prompts you and says, hey, share the gospel, share the hope you have in Jesus, you just start sharing it. And you will be shocked as to how frequently people will be receptive to the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Just the simplicity of saying, hey, do you go to a church? Hey, do you know Jesus? And just sharing the simplicity things with people and the more frequent you do it. I I think of it this way. It's like if if you don't work out consistently and you just randomly showed up to a gym and there was a trainer there and he said, get on that bench press and lift 250 pounds. And you're like, you know, I... I don't know if I can lift 25 pounds, you know, and he's like, by your reaction to the request, you've already told him that I don't lift. And it, was, it might be evident to him that you don't, but by our own omission, we tell people that whether or not we are disciplined in aspects of our lives. There's nothing wrong if you haven't frequently shared Jesus with other people, but I think it's at the beginning of it, you need to recognize first what you've received. I, I think talking about sharing your faith is, is irrelevant until you first recognize the goodness that you receive from Christ. When you get that, it'll, it'll mess you up. You won't even need to focus on sharing your faith. It'll come out as a byproduct of your recognition of what you receive from God. We're, we're, we're focused and fixated on the wrong thing. What is the reaction to them? I'm not worried about your reaction. I'm obsessed with what Christ did for me. 
And when you're overwhelmed with what Christ has brought you and given you and provided for you and the, and the freedom that is found in Christ. I remember one time I was in London. We went to, it wasn't Oxford University, though I did have a chance to preach there. And I remember when I was there, it, it was an interesting time for me. I, I, I shared with some of the people in in Scandinavia, I felt like parts of Northern Europe or parts of Europe were very similar to the Northeast of America. Meaning this, like you may live in South Carolina or Georgia or some you know, parts of Virginia and to ask someone where they go to church is not an uncommon thing. Um, it's not rude, but if you, you know, worked at a store and they said, hey, where do you go to church? What do you mean, where do I go to church? Why are you asking me where I go to church? Do I look like I need to go to church? What's wrong with, you know, it's like, it's a very judgmental thing to ask someone that because you could be suggesting something and how dare you suggest that I do or don't go to church? It's none of your business. It's very similar in parts of Europe that way. And I remember I was on a college campus talking with some people and and, um, it was very popular on that campus at the time to just say that you were an atheist or an agnostic. And, and a lot of the young people, that was their automatic default. I would say to them, uh, simply beginning the conversation about your belief system and what do you believe, it was this default to say, well, I'm an atheist. And, and it's, it's, it's quite embarrassing to, to see where the conversation would lead when my second question would, would be, well, how did you come to, to the place of being an atheist? Which would essentially be asking them to explain to me intellectually in some way, shape, or form how they landed the plane on believing that God does not exist. Because I feel like he doesn't. And what I, what I left that university well aware of was that there was never any conversing with someone who carried faith. There's never ever dialogue with other people about what does your journey of faith look like? Who is Jesus? Did he really live? Why did he come? What did he come to do? Is there really a spiritual implication to my reaction to the things of God and to the works of Jesus Christ on the cross? Or is it all just a a made-up story that religion uses to coerce people to act a certain way? What is it? And I recognize that no one sat down with these young people and ever spent time talking about the Lord. Sharing your faith is more than just having a 30-second conversation with someone at Wawa or ShopRite. It's taking the time to make room in your life and in your schedule to say, I want to share with you the hope that I have in Jesus. And not being obsessed and consumed by the reaction that someone has, being more consumed and compelled by what you receive from God. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. The second word that's used frequently in the New Testament is not euangelion, it's euangelizo. And this literally means to announce, to proclaim, to declare. It's used about 50 times in the New Testament. And it's interesting because euangelion and euangelizo, these words have, have angel in the middle of both of them. And it makes sense because an angel is a messenger of God. It is someone who carries what they have received to declare it to other people. Um, in, a, in a sporting sense, it would be... I, I remember I had the opportunity to... Have you ever... 
witnessed a rugby, uh, ma- they call them match. Have you ever witnessed a rugby match? Um, I wish that they had that in high school. It just seems like I would have really enjoyed that. It was, it was the cross between like wrestling and football. And uh, I don't know, it looked amazing. I remember watching it and the dependency on the way that game works is you anticipate, you act in anticipation of what might happen. And when it does, you're prepared. And so the ball is thrown underhand. And when you re- you're always anticipating receiving the ball, which means your posture is always in the right place. And then when you receive it, you are ready to throw it to someone else. And this is a beautiful picture. It's a divine picture of the way God works with humanity. God, God initiates all things. And when he gives you something, he doesn't want you to just say, oh, thanks. And then just go on with your life. It's, it's, and he doesn't want you to play hot potato with it either, but God's like, I've given it to you for a purpose. And it's to, to give to you so that you can give to someone else. You walk in it, but then what you carry, you can give, with other, give to other people. Um, you, angelizo, means to announce or declare. Matthew 15, 11, um, Jesus is preaching and teaching, and John the Baptist sends some of his disciples to Jesus, some of his followers to Jesus and he asked them uh, this question he had his disciples ask Jesus this question because at the time John the Baptist was in prison um, and he says are you the one that we should expect are you the expected one the Messiah and this is what Christ told the disciples he says the blind receive sight the lame walk those who have leprosy are cleansed the deaf hear the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Rather than Jesus just saying, um, oh, the answer to your inquiry is yes. No, Jesus says no. So he knows I am the one. I'm going to quote the prophets and tell him that this was the sign that I would be the one. What were the signs? That the blind would receive sight, the lame would walk, those who have leprosy would be cleansed, the deaf would hear, the dead are raised up, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. That word, good news, in this portion of Scripture is euangelizo, which means to announce and declare. The final word, uh, the third word, would be martorion or martis, which is a word meaning witnessing or witness. In Acts, this word was frequently used in the New Testament, primarily in the early um, days of the, of the church. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8 The scriptures say, but you will receive power. This word power, we know this is dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. You will receive dunamis power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. um, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. This is where we get the word um, martyr from. In the Greek, it's martorion. We would find our word derives from this place of martyr, to give one's life. To be a witness for God. When when you're saved, when you surrender your life to Jesus through the confession of your mouth and the belief in your heart, the Bible says that something's made new in you. It's your spirit. Um, Your body, because of sin, is decaying. Never made to die, but because of the fallen nature of man and the choice that Adam and Eve had in the garden to walk away from God, sin has affected every aspect of God's creation. It has has distorted it. It has perverted it. 
When we stand in the presence of God, the Bible says we will receive a new body and our minds will be changed. We'll receive a new body in our minds. The other two portions of our being will be made new then. But the one thing that you will not receive when you stand in the presence of God is a new spirit. Why? Because you already received it through the confession of your mouth and the belief in your heart of the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's already made new. Now something that's powerful in this, and I want you to get this. The flesh side of you. Do you know, do you know what I mean when I say the flesh side of you? The natural desires of you. Um, desires are not bad. Desires are given by God. But desires outside of the confines of God. Like um, desires to eat. Desires to eat. A desire to eat is not a bad desire. We need to eat. But overeating or gluttony in the scriptures say is a problem. Sex is a natural desire of humanity given by God. Satan has distorted it. But the desire is a blessing within the confines of marriage as God permits it. So desires are not always bad, but we have a natural desire in our flesh to satisfy the desires of the flesh. Do you know your desires as a redeemed believer are the same as someone who has never received Christ? But there's a significant difference. Prior to receiving Christ, you had no power through the Holy Spirit to take dominion over the flesh and, and, and to, to have power over the flesh, you were at that point enslaved by your natural desires. Meaning that it doesn't matter how much you strive, you'll never win over it. You'll never win. You'll always feel like you are controlled by the desires of the flesh. But the Bible teaches us that when we are a new creation in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. What is it teaching? You now have dunamis power through the power of, the, of this new spirit to take dominion of the desires of your flesh. Basically saying, no, that's not who I am. That's not how I think. That's not how I talk. And that's not how I act. I'm a new creation in Christ. And for many of us, we need to learn this. We're getting ready to do something in, in the months ahead, talking about the power of learning how to take dominion or to take rule in, of our minds through, through the renewing of our mind and not be led by the desires of our flesh. You don't need to be enslaved any longer. Paul would write about this exhaustively uh, to the early church saying, why are you acting as if you are enslaved again? You've been set free. What is he saying? You have the power now to take dominion over those things. You don't need to be ruled by them anymore. And so when we talk about this idea of a witness, to be a witness for Christ, it literally means I've seen it. That's why in court you will bear witness to things. I've seen it and I will now share with other people what I have seen. I want you, if, if you're here today and, and you've surrendered your life to Jesus and you believe, according to Ephesians 2.8, that salvation is by grace through faith. And that's important because for many of us, we, we might be a little misunderstanding, we might have a misunderstanding of that. Maybe based on your background, you think in order to be saved, you have to work and, and you have to prove to God that, that it's by your works. Well, Ephesians 2.8 directly answers this and says, lest it be by your works that anyone should boast. It's not by our works. It is by grace through faith. Grace is unmerited favor. It's I can't, God can. So it is only by God's initiation and in sending his one and only son to the cross, paying for my sin, 
paying for my sin, and I now am a recipient of this free gift. Now, for many of us, if you don't understand that, let me say it to you this way. You don't ever have to come back to church again another day in your life, and God's love for you will never change. But why do you come? Some of you have never, some of you are like, well, my dad told me to, you know. And I, no, no, but why? I, my, my son, Levi, he's seven. He woke up again this morning. He's like, oh, you know, that. Do I have to go? I hope he's not watching. And, um, and he's like, why, do, why do, I, do I have to go? And I said, son, we go to honor God. I was like, you don't understand it today, but you, there will be a day where you know why it's such a privilege to be in God's house. It's a privilege. We could do anything we want on a Sunday, but what a privilege to be found in the house of God. Some of you have never asked yourself those questions. Why should I be here? Why not at the shore on the beach? Why not away somewhere by a pool? Why not doing all these other things? That's why when you start to read David and he says, I'd rather be in God's house than anywhere else. I'd rather be in the house of God. You say, why? Well, you need to realize what you've received from him. You recognize all that you received from God. You say, I don't care what I'm offered. There's no place I'd rather be than in the house of the Lord. Why? Because there's something good in it. There's something you receive from it. How can we say from one side of our mouth, I got my blessings, purpose, value, meaning, significance, healing. I got peace and joy and thanksgiving all from God. And they say, wow, where do you serve? I, I don't. It's we either recognize what we received or we haven't. And we're trying to walk the line of like, what would be? You know, every great believer, every champion of God, I mean, we've, we've literally in the last five years lost so many generals in the army of God. Reinhard Bunke, Billy Graham. I mean, you could just go through the list. Pat Robinson, you could go through the list of all these great men and women of the Lord that have gone on to be with the Lord. And if you, they were all asked very similar questions. If you could change one thing, what would it be in your life? They'd say, I'd pray more and read the word of God more. And for us, looking at generals in God's army saying, you wish you could pray more, you know. Man, what is it? And it's just, man, I wish I would spend more of my life focused on what I receive from God and less time scrapping and scraping trying to accomplish things for myself. <laughs> so as Doc John talked about last week, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. I heard that, that passage in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You know, if you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is received in the same way that salvation is. And I believe this, that as we receive salvation by grace through faith, we can also ask for a second outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In the same way, by grace through faith, believing that God, if you've never prayed that prayer to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, pray that prayer. And you say, whoa, 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 isn't that, isn't that kind of like the the crazy Pentecostals or doesn't that mean that I'll have to start doing crazy things? No, that's, man's idea of methodology is interesting, particularly as it diverts course from the scriptures. But my Bible says that that dunamis power that's poured out on the church is not to draw attention to you. It's not to make a scene in the house of God. It's not to draw glory to your own gift because it's not your gift. It was given to you by God. But all of the spiritual gifts that come through the baptism of the Holy Spirit are what? My, the dunamis power will be given so that you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. The Spirit of God was poured out and manifested the church on the day of Pentecost. Not so that they could sit in a room. 
and dwell upon the gifts that they have and all that they received. It's so that they could be a witness for the things of God. And almost every single one of them that would be in that room, especially the disciples, would die a death like a martyr. It's powerful, the, the picture of what God paints in this, that I've given you the power of the Holy Spirit to control the desires of their flesh, to run after the things of God, to proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he'd say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Do you know sometimes when God tells you stuff, you're like, yeah, I still feel like this is a problem. I still see myself this way. You just need to read 2 Corinthians 5, 17 again and remind yourself that all things are gone. All things are gone. You are a new creation in Christ. It's a journey. It's a process. None of it happens overnight. This is what he says. Now all these things are from God. God always divinely initiates all things with us. We are generous because he was first generous. We love because he first so loved us. Everything we do, my, my friends, is a response to what God first pours out to us. We only respond to his divine initiation. Listen, I don't, don't I'll, I'll talk to you like I talked to Levi. I said, just give me a few seconds. Pay attention. This is it. All these things are from God. Listen, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. When I heard that the first time, I was like, Okay, I, great. It sounds good. I just believe you. It's good. Who reconciled us, who reconciled us to himself, who's himself, to God, through Christ. The word reconciled means to be at peace again. Again. I don't know if I've ever been there. <laughs> we were at once that place in the garden, at peace with God. No sin that divided us in our relationship. But to reconcile means to be at peace again. It means to reestablish that which was broken. And how would that happen? In order for us to be reconciled with God, to be at peace again with God, someone would have to deal with the issue of sin that exists in our life. And the Bible says sin is evident in our lives through missing the mark of God. The law was given to man, to the nation of Israel, so that they could recognize that it was not through their works that they could stand in righteousness before God. It was given so that they would be aware of the fact that they cannot keep it or earn it themselves. They needed someone beyond themselves to save themselves. And that's why God sends His one and only Son from heaven to earth, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so God, through Christ Jesus, reconciles us to himself. He brings peace again to himself with us through the finished work of Christ. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. Most of you are with me. And he gave us, listen, he gave us. I don't know if you recognize this, but you've been given the ministry of re reconciliation. That's what God gives you. He gives you this ministry to reconcile people to God, to make them at peace again with God. And how do you do that? You are carriers of this good news, of this gospel news that Christ has blessed you with. Do you know, if you, I, I'm not a visual, I don't like, um, what do you call them, um, 
props. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know why. I just, they distract me too much. But if I, if I have my hands filled with all of these things in life, and I'm focusing on this, and I'm focusing on my job, and my family, and my kids, and doing all these schedules, and I'm trying to do this, and advance these things, and none of it in general is bad in and of itself. But the moment it becomes a higher priority than the call of reconciling people to God, we've just got things way out of order in our life. It's like when Doc John talked about this, this pool mentality. Do you remember he talked about that last week? He says, seek first the kingdom of God. It's not a, a totem pole, like a priority list. And, and this is how I love to, to picture it is if, you, if you're a priority, how many people are list people in church? List people. I love lists. I have lists for lists. That's, that's me. They're like, what's that list? I was like, that's for this list and this list and this list. And, 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 but this is the thing. You can be a hierarchical picture, but this is how your drawers look. Every drawer says God. God, 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 God. There's nothing in any drawer that's outside of the realm of the kingdom of God. And so you might have as a subcategory under it, marriage, family, finance, faith, job. But guess what? God rules and reigns in every aspect of it. To be consumed by all things that God has blessed us with. You've been giving this ministry of reconciliation. A beautiful picture of this is seen in Christ parable of leaving the 99 to find the one his heart is compelled by love to find the one that's lost to reconcile him back to bring him back to redeem him the word redemption is this idea of purchasing back the scripture says that you were bought you, you were paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ not through silver or gold but through the blood of Jesus. The only way that someone could deal with the forgiveness of sins or to deal with sin itself is through the shedding of blood. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? The one son asked his father, I want all my money, dad. Give it all to me now. The father gives him his inheritance early and the son goes and the scriptures say that he blew it all on wild living. You can use your imagination what that means, but he had nothing left. And the picture is, of the Father in heaven represented as the Father in this story constantly waiting for His Son to return. Waiting, 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 waiting. And finally one day He returns. And what does the Father do? He runs after Him. He runs after Him. Listen to me. There's something powerful in reconciliation. You will never be at peace again. And some of you understand this. On the outside of your family, if people were to look in and visually look at your family, it seems like everything's together. The sun has come home. Everything's good. But if you want peace, it finds its pathway through forgiveness. And why do we forgive? Because we first have been forgiven. You'll never find the ability to forgive other people who've wronged you until you first recognize that you have been forgiven much by God. And if you've received that forgiveness from Christ, my friend, it's so much easier to hand forgiveness to someone else. The picture of the father through the prodigal son is that he came home. And if you didn't know the story, on the outside, it could seem great. The father welcomed the son home. But if he didn't have forgiveness in his heart, it would be a picture of perfection. But in the home, it would be a disaster. We're taught in that story of the challenge that the older son had because he didn't forgive him in his heart. The pathway to it is forgiveness. Can I pray for you? You bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here today and you frequent church week in and week out, and I don't know what compels you or motivates you. I suppose the only thing I would ask you is how are you carrying the gospel that you received? How are you carrying it, my friend? And I don't say that with any sense of judgment because, quite frankly, I've failed 
so many times I've lost count. But maybe you're here today and you've never responded to the prompting of the Spirit of God in your heart. You might be here today, you could be watching online, and you know that you need to be, you need to get right with God. You're not right. You've recognized that you can't save yourself. No matter how much you do, you could never earn your salvation. You could never buy your salvation. You could never work towards it. You need someone beyond you, and you recognize that that someone is Jesus. My friend, the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God knows you. He loves you with all of his heart. My friends, I don't have the words to articulate the love that God has towards you. But the Bible says that he bankrupt heaven and sent the only, his one and only son to live a perfect life and to die a death that he did not deserve to die so that you could live a life that you did not deserve to live. It is by and through his grace and his mercy that we have the ability to stand in the presence of God. If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to lead you in a prayer. You might say to yourself, is that it? It's a prayer. Confession and belief are powerful. Confession and belief are powerful. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the, from the grave, defeating sin and death, you shall be saved. You have now been reconciled to God. The old is gone and the new has come. We're going to say this prayer. You're not going to say it alone. We're all going to say it together out loud with you. So come on, True North family. Help me right now in leading people to Jesus. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I, re I receive your Son <laughs> as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and defeated sin in the grave. I'm now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, clap for everybody that said that. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope the message was encouraging to you. I hope it was challenging to you. I just pray that it, it edified you in the season that you find yourself in. One of, our, uh, one of our core values here at True North is we believe that we're made to move. And, and when we say that, I know sometimes people are confused by that. They're like, well, what does that mean, move? And, and we don't believe it's irrelevant or just random movement. We believe that is intentional movement um, in your personal walk with Jesus. We believe that that movement is, is directed and guided right to the person of Jesus. And we've, we've built and designed not only our church website, but our church app around the, the intention and the heart to help equip you and resource you on that journey with Jesus. So I pray that you take the time to look at our website, look at our app, and maybe you'll be encouraged through Care Plus or some of the devotionals that are available to you or past messages that are available to you. Share it with other people as it's our intention to resource people in their personal journey with Jesus.